Well, for the past few weeks, many of us have been venturing to do something we've never done before, and that is to pray some scary prayers. We started this series a few weeks ago by thinking about the prayer, God, search me, and what that entails, because it involves us saying, God, look inside of me and show me what you see. God, show me those things in me that breaks your heart. And then we followed that up by talking about the, the message, God, mold me. And we were praying, God, don't just search me and don't just show me the bad stuff, but Lord, help mold me and shape me and make me more Christ-like. Last week, what we talked about what it means to pray, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit from the inside out and begin to use me in powerful ways beyond what I can do on my own because I have your strength residing inside of me. Today we're going to be wrapping up this series on Palm Sunday by talking about, I think, what is probably the most scary prayer of all of them. And that is a prayer, God, use me. Or even better, God, send me. It's a, it's a difficult prayer to pray because it involves surrendering, doesn't it? It involves surrendering our priorities, our schedules, and so much more. But it's a prayer that we see reflected in Scripture and one that God honors as we pray it. You know, over my 20-plus years of being in ministry, probably, some, without a doubt, some of the biggest highlights for me have been those times when I have seen God, people respond to God's call. When I've seen, sometimes it's big ways that everyone can notice, and sometimes it's in small ways that nobody even sees that it's happening, but them and, and me. And in those moments when I see people respond to that call, and they say, God, here I am, send me, use me however you want, and then God just starts working through that. I tell you, those, have, those times have blessed me so, so often. In fact, I would love to share with you a couple of those stories at the end of my message this morning, if we have time, but... Um, I just want to start this morning by saying, you know, at Grace, we tell people all the time that our vision here is to create fully devoted followers of Christ who will share Christ's love with Tucson and the world, right? I mean, if you've been around Grace for a while, you've, you've heard that phrase over and over again, that we would love and that we would encourage and that we would teach people to be fully devoted in their faith, whatever that looks like, wherever God has each person in their journey of faith. And the natural byproduct of that is that we are sent that we share Christ's love with those whom we come in contact with, those whom God puts in our path, in our circle. Being sent is a process. It's a process that involves God searching us and molding us and filling us with His Spirit and empowering us to share Christ's love with those we come in contact with, to be a reflection of Jesus. Despite our own quirkinesses and our own sins and our own failures, our own quirks and hang-ups, Send me is a prayer that God wants to answer in every single person's life who ventures to pray it. Everyone who chooses to follow him. And the truth is, and this is where I'm going to be focusing on this morning, when we are centered in God's will, we are sent to do his will. When we're centered in God's will, we are sent to do his will. They're just, they're just attached. You can't separate one from the other. And to use a sports analogy, no one is left on a bench. When it comes to God. Now, as I share that with you this morning, I have a little confession to make. You know, some of you know that you know, I, I enjoy the outdoors. I'm a fairly fit guy. But that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that I'm an athlete. Or that I even pretend to be one at any given time. I mean, it takes more than just enjoying the outdoors to be an athlete. And for most of my young life, 
junior high, high school, college, I was known as a bench warmer. How many bench warmers do we have in the audience? Raise your hands loud and proud. Yes. Cheer for the B team, right? Um, that was me. I, I was on a bench. Whenever I decided to play a sport, I was out there every now and then when, it, I, when the coach felt like I wasn't going to screw up, every, screw up the score. You know, it was close enough to the end. But most of the time, I was a bench warmer. Now, I actually met someone here at Grace not too long ago who actually played uh, pro baseball for Kansas City. And I have to say, I am totally impressed. I couldn't be any further from that than I am today. But um, in sports, you know, it takes a lot of hand and eye coordination. It's kind of important. And, you know, I didn't have any of that. (laughs) Still don't. Um, Honestly, I didn't really like being a bench warmer, and so a lot of times in junior high and high school, I just wouldn't play sports because I just didn't want didn't to have to deal with that. But there were a few times that I did try out, and I did push myself. You know, I, I will show you a picture of what I actually looked like in high school, just so that you kind of have some idea. That was me in ninth grade. Wasn't, I wasn't able to play on the football team. I mean, I would, I would be bowled over by any guy on the, on the football team if I had to play there. Wasn't tall enough to, to, to dunk a basket on basketball. But I thought at one point my freshman year, I thought, you know what? I could do tennis. I mean, tennis can't be that hard. I mean, I thought, it's a really small ball and it's a really big bat. Surely I won't have any trouble with that sport, right? Some of you are already seeing some of the holes in my logic, right? So I tried out and I thought, oh, this is easy. I can, I can totally nail that ball. And so I'm out there and you know, I had really good contact with the ball. I could certainly drive it over the net. The problem was I could drive it over the fence around the tennis court most of the time instead of just over the net. And so they didn't like me playing very often. So in East Central Georgia, during my freshman year, I was responsible for making sure our bench was nice and warm throughout the year. Now, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, so outside of uh, maybe little league teams, every coach worth his or her salt will at least put his least talented, least qualified players on the bench every now and then, right? I mean, it's just, it's just natural. It just has to happen. You know, hopefully the coach has enough compassion to, to find a place to be able to use you in the game every now and then. It's not a permanent thing. Hopefully I have enough wisdom to know how to use you without totally screwing up the season um, in the process. But while that is true in sports, that coaches tend to have a few that they tend to keep on the bench, here's what I want to share with you this morning to get back to my main idea. There has never been a time in human history that God has taken that approach with you and me. Not a time. God doesn't leave anyone stuck on a bench. Sure, there are times when we talked about last, we talked about last week, God puts us on the potter's wheel. He's molding and shaping us. By the way, if you missed that message or any of those in the series, gracetucson.org, you can catch up with those. Feel free to do that. Um, but even then, even when we're on the potter's wheel, we're not on the bench. We're not a bench warmer. And that's because when we are centered in his will, we are sent to do his will. Every single time. And the crazy thing is, in the church world that I have noticed, is that some of us, we try to fight God, our coach, in order to be bench warmers. Can you believe that? Rather than arguing with the coach to put us in the game... We get scared and we ask God to keep us out of the game. We ask, us, we ask him to allow us to stay seated on the bench, which is just nuts, in my opinion. The greatest game of all time, the game of life, 
And some of us even today are arguing with God to give us a seat on the bench. In fact, many of God's most gifted, most talented MVPs have argued with the coach for a seat on the bench. I'm going to show you from Scripture what that looks like today. We're going to actually look at the stories very quickly of several people in Scripture who asked God for a seat on the bench. And then we're going to kind of focus in on Isaiah 6 in a few minutes and look at someone who didn't take that approach. But this morning as we approach this message, what I'm going to show you this morning, in addition to these lives of all these great people of the faith who ask for a seat on the bench at times, I'm going to show you that whenever God taps us on the shoulder, whenever the coach reaches out and calls us to put our, to, wants to put us in the game, we have one of three responses. There's only three responses we can give the coach when he calls us into the game. It's either, coach, I can't, I won't, or... Here I am, coach. Send me. Put me in. The first response that I can't is a typical one, isn't it? Especially for those of us who like the idea of faith. We like the idea of being sent to heaven one day. But we don't always like the process that God brings us on to get there, right? That I can't response is really, if you get right down to it, it's a response of fear, isn't it? You know, we see this response in the people... um, who are the closest to Jesus in the days following Palm Sunday leading up to the crucifixion. Those who were closest to Jesus. People like Peter, who when he was asked if he was with Jesus, he did not even knowing him. In that moment, Peter and so many others who would follow the coach so closely, they were gripped by fear. And that moment, when they were being called forward, they said, I can't. Esther was a great example of that too in the Old Testament. There was a time when God wanted to use Esther. Uh, Esther was a queen and she had her, God was encouraging her to go and speak to the king to defend God's people. And her first response to the king, to uh, her her relative who was asking her to take this step for God, she said, I can't. I can't do that. I'm not supposed to do that. Things won't go well for me if I take that step. I can't. But eventually, Esther takes that step. And as a result of her faith, as a result of her stepping forward, as resulting of allowing God to put her in the game, God used her to save massive numbers of God's people at what time in history. God tried to put a man by the name of Jeremiah in the game centuries ago. But Jeremiah wanted to be a bench warmer also. For those of you who are in the room, especially who are in your teens or your 20s, listen to this. Jeremiah was approached by God and said, I want to use you. And Jeremiah's response was, I can't, God. I'm too young. And God said, oh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah. My bad. <laughs> right? No. He said, in other words, in, to use my, my, David's translation, he said, don't tell me, the coach, that you're too young. And don't be afraid. I have a plan for your life, and I want to use you. The Lord has spoken. For those of you who are here today and you're a little bit older and you, you tend to say, I can't sometimes to God because you might say, God, I'm too old, I'm, I'm too feeble, I've got too many health issues, God, I, I've already had my time. Does God accept that? Well, ask Moses. Moses was 80 years old when God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I have a plan for you too, buddy. And what was his response? Even though God approached him in a burning bush, Moses' response was, I can't, God. I, I, I just can't. 
God didn't accept that. And so Moses surrendered that fearful response to God. And God used his life in powerful ways for many, many years to come. Maybe this morning you've used that I can't response to God at times. The coach has tried to put you in and you've complained of an injury or you've said you're not, you don't think you're ready or that you're too busy to play the game and God's asking you this morning, are you on the team or not? This fearful response might include some of you because you've never even prayed this prayer before in the first place. Maybe you've never in your life prayed, God, send me because you're afraid to. <laughs> you're afraid what will happen if you actually pray that prayer. And you're like, you know what, if I just don't say the words... If I don't actually pray the prayer, then maybe I'll be good. But honestly, do you feel like you can avoid the coach? Maybe, you, maybe you've been hiding under the bench is what you've actually been doing. You've been hoping that God wouldn't see you, that God wouldn't call you. And now God spots you right here where you are in a seat at Grace Community Church. And he's saying, I don't have bench warmers. I never have. I've trained every single player to do what I've asked them to do. So what's it going to be? Well, your response when God taps you on the shoulder, whether maybe, maybe he's already done it here recently and you've been avoiding God, or maybe you're feeling like, you know what, life's good. God's not going to bother me. You know? <laughs> and those are those moments when God will reach out to us and tap us on the shoulder and say, I have a plan for you. What will, what will you do in that moment? Will you say, I can't, God? Will you give him a reason, an excuse why you can't? Or will you say, God, use me? So, there's a fearful response, which we've talked about. We've seen several people in Scripture who have had that. But there's also what I would call a foolish response. Not the response of someone who's scared, but of someone who is stubborn. It's not the I can't response, but rather the I won't response. You know, one of the great examples of this in the Bible was a man by the name of Jonah, right? I mean, Jonah was called by God to go do a work. He was, he, God said, I'm sending you out to this place in Nineveh. I want to use you. Go there. I, have, I want you to share with the people there about me. And Jonah was like, nope, not doing that. And actually, God's told, God told him to go a certain direction to get to Nineveh. No, Jonah decided, I'm going to go in the opposite direction and go as far away from Nineveh as I possibly can go. That was Jonah's response. And in that moment, what did God do? God gave him the space to work on it, to wrestle with it a little bit. And then he said, now you're going to go. And he grabbed Jonah and he headed him back toward Nineveh. And God humbled him and God broke him in those moments of his life. And by the time he landed on the shores of Nineveh, he was ready to be used by God. The issue here isn't sometimes for us that we can't because we know that God's empowered us and equipped us to do everything he's asked us to do. The issue I think a lot of times is that we're saying to God, I won't. And we'll use a lot of spiritual language sometimes to avoid the reality of our stubbornness before God. I wonder if you can find yourself in an experience like that where you felt prompted to do something for God but you didn't really pay attention to it. You heard God calling you to do something. You, you minimized it. You ignored it. You made some excuses for why you couldn't do it. And you walked away. You know, I found sometimes in my life that um, maybe this has been true for you. I find sometimes that God calls us to do things. And he's not even 
He's not even necessarily wanting us to do those things. He's just calling us to see if we're obedient and if we're willing to go. I mean, there's a good example of it with Abraham and Isaac in the story of the sacrifice in Genesis 22, I think. Um, but I can give you an example of that even in my own life. You know, there was a, uh, I, I've always personally had a heart for those who serve in the military. Those men and women who are willing to risk their lives and put on a uniform and obediently go across the world to protect my family and those whom I love, they have a huge amount of respect in my book. Always have. And I've often thought, you know, if I weren't a pastor, I could easily be a military chaplain. There was a time in my life last year when I was sitting in a dentist office of all places, and I had this sense from God that I knew it was, it, it was so loud and so clear that I just couldn't avoid it. And I felt like God was asking me to wrestle with that, with that idea again. Of what would it look like maybe, Dave, for you to, to leave the pastoral ministry and to be a military chaplain? And as you might expect, a little wave of fear went through my body. <laughs> all, all the way through. I'm like, oh man, that was a crazy idea. Let's, let's, let's put that one in. This is typical, you know, I'm a great typical guy. So let's stick that one in a box. We'll deal with that one later, right? And so that's what I did. I tried to avoid that conversation with God for weeks. Just like, oh, I don't even want to, I don't even want to approach that topic with God because he's going to wrestle with, he wants to wrestle with me on it. Finally, I gave into it. And I spent some time like, I'm praying like, God, why in the world would you ask this of me? God, do you see what you've set up here at Grace Community? Do you see how you're using me and others and how, God, why, in the, why are you wanting to mess with this? I, I said, I, I, was, you know, I got a little bit frustrated with God. I'm like, God, obviously you don't see what I see here. And I'm trying to explain to God why I should stay here and not be a military chaplain because I'm feeling this pull, this tug from God. And finally, there came a point I wish I could say it was minutes or hours later. It was weeks later. I finally just broke before God. I'm like, God, all right, let's talk about this. Let's really talk about it this time. What are you asking of me? Whatever you want, I'll do it. And it was in that moment that God said, I'm not calling you to be a military chaplain. I just wanted to see if you were willing. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> Seriously? You know, but inside I just knew, I understood what God was doing in my heart and my life. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a place like that, where you, you sense something, you see something, you sense maybe God is calling you to something, and your response is so quickly, I can't, or I won't, God. And sometimes God is just, willing, just wanting to see, are you willing? Are you willing to go there with me? Are you willing to trust me with the hard stuff? Are you willing to trust me to allow me to use you, to send you out to a place that might be uncomfortable for you? It wouldn't have been uncomfortable for me, but it would have been, the change would have been uncomfortable for me. But I was finally willing to go when God said, no, your plan, my plans for you are right here at Grace Community. <laughs> that was a relief for me, trust me. <laughs> I wonder this morning as I'm sharing this with you, if you can identify with what I'm talking about. That those times in your life when God's nudging you. And sometimes it's big things. Man. Sometimes it's like life-adjusting, life-altering stuff, right? And you're like, oh, God, seriously, no. I can't do that. Or I won't do that. Sometimes it's just simple acts of obedience where we're in a grocery store and God's asking us to reach out to that person in the next aisle and talk with them about our faith in Christ or to, to, to we see that they're struggling with something and we enter into that moment 
And sometimes, and even in those moments, we say, I can't or I won't. Rather than saying, God, here I am. Send me. Use me. This morning, I want to look at the story of someone who said that just that. Here am I. Send me. It was a guy by the name of Isaiah who lived many centuries ago. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Isaiah 6. I'm going to read this a few verses from this chapter, and this will kind of become our focus for the morning. Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. It says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being Isaiah in that moment as this is happening? In verse 4 it says, Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, and here's the key part. Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. You know, I just love this passage. I always have. It shows this average, everyday, ordinary guy who's just going about his daily business, going about life when God just gets in his face. He surprises Isaiah is what he does. And he says, I'm putting you in the game. And you know, in that moment, Isaiah could have had a fearful response, right? I mean, he was in the presence of God. I mean, there are angels flying around, there's smoke everywhere. If there's a moment to be fearful, that's probably the one I'd pick, right? He doesn't have a fearful response. He could have had a, you know, he could have had you know, a, just a stubborn response, a foolish response to God. It's like, no, God, I'm not doing it. I don't care what you do. You can put all the angels in the world in front of me. I'm not going there. I'm not doing what you're, what you're asking. But instead, I, I think this is just would be so true of you and I too. In the presence of God, he, Isaiah can't help but see his own flaws his own failures, his own sins. And he, in that very moment as he's seeing the holiness of God, he looks at himself and he says, Oh, God, look at me. Look at me. God, I'm a mess. I'm a filthy mess. How in the world, why would you even want this? And God in his mercy and his grace, he forgives Isaiah. And Isaiah's very next response was not to make an excuse, not to justify his past or his future, but instead to say, okay, God, whatever it is, whatever you want, I'm okay with it. Do what you want. Here I am, God. Send me. He trusts the coach, and he jumps into the game. He doesn't freeze up. He doesn't make excuses. 
It's kind of like the story of Abraham, another story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham is going about living his daily life and he's trying to follow God to the best of his ability and God taps Abraham on the shoulder in his old rage and says, Abraham, I have a plan for you. I want you to go. I want to send you out. And Abraham's like, well, where are we going, God? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. Go to the, you start walking, you start moving forward and I'll show you the direction I'll show you where I want you to go. I'll show you what I want you to do. And in that moment, Abraham had every right in the world to say, like, hey, God, time out. A few more details here. We need a plan. We need a rock-solid plan before I move anywhere. He could have dug his heels in, but instead he said, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm with you. Let's go. You know, when I first came to Grace, I met a young man here who the coach was calling into the game. He was the manager of a cell phone store. He had a nice, steady job, three kids. And it was the first series that I had preached. It was a series called Radical, when God just really started working on his heart. And he came to realize that he had a calling on his life to children's ministry and student ministry. And his name was Brian Brinkley. Some of you may know Brian. I'll I'll throw a picture of him on the screen. I... (laughs) I asked for him to give me a little bit more of a serious shot. He's like, no, dude, that's all I got. Make do with that. You know, eventually, Brian followed through with some of the things that God was stirring in his heart, and he decided to go to seminary. Some of you have actually supported him in a seminary fund at Grace that has been helping him and others who have a calling on their lives to go take a step into ministry. I reached out to Brian a few days ago, and I asked him how he was doing. And he sent me a little note to, to, that I want to share with you guys as well. It really touched my heart about what he's going through. Because this process of being used and being sent out for Brian is far from over. For Brian, he's, just, he, he's been walking down this road of trying to finish seminary. He's just a few days, a few weeks from finishing seminary. But here's what he shared with me that I want to share with you. He said, first off, I want you to know that I am well. I miss you and all of you at Grace more than you know. I wholeheartedly thank you for not only your support of me and my continued education, but for your support of my family, mostly for my children. Following God outside of Oro Valley, following God's call in my life, has brought me much-needed experience, joy, heartache, and other lessons. These last many years have been, beyond any other term, scary. He says, I remember it all beginning with a particularly scary day. My wife and I were young newlyweds. I was a very young Christian. I was about fed up with the church. We were shunned from my previous church and almost overwhelmed by Grace Community, if you can imagine. I was left confused. I needed God to make sense of everything. My wife got a call from the children's director at the time. She was looking for a fill-in for the 5th to 6th grade class that week. My wife couldn't do it, but after finding out the need for some crazy reason, I decided to call the director back and offer my help. And then I kept coming back week after week after week. When God called me to take another step, I was a divorced dad working at AT AT&T. I was scared to face the decisions that followed, to leave my great job at AT AT&T, to take a part-time job with children to provide for. I was scared to leave my kids and move a thousand miles away from them to go full-time to seminary. I worried each night that I, as I rested my head against a pillow, wondering if they were doing the same. All of these were reasons I crippled myself for years before taking my call seriously. 
But faith couldn't exist without doubt, without fear. If God's call on your life doesn't cause discomfort, fear, some kind of stress, then I wonder what he meant by taking up our own crosses and following him. What sacrifice would there be in following him? Ever since my first Sunday hanging out with students at Grace way back in 2002, there has been an undying pull on my heart to minister to students and their parents. I have trodden along in life ever since in fear, making sure I continue to do so with as little scary stuff as possible, bothering as few people as possible. But these last years have taught me to throw the expectation of tameness aside. Taking up my cross has not been about simply embracing the pain and struggle in life. It's been about my fulfillment of purpose. Then he says uh, to me and, and to you, um, he says, your walk probably doesn't look like mine. It most likely doesn't start at becoming a Christian because your girlfriend insisted on it. It probably doesn't include getting married young or getting, going through a divorce, or maybe it does. But what I know for sure is that every one of us God wants us to step outside of comfort into the scary. The cross begs us this Easter season to embrace our fears. Christ was resolute in his pursuit of the cross as we should be resolute in our pursuit to follow him. You know, this morning I wanted to share with you a little bit of his story, but I also want to share with you one other story. And it's of a couple who have been at Grace for many, many years uh, who was... probably about 35 years ago God tapped on the shoulder and said I have plans for you too and after a period of struggle they said yes to Jesus would you please welcome to the stage Earl and Betty Moyer so Earl and Betty um, you've already told me your story and I was just kind of spellbound by it as you shared it a long time ago uh, I knew that some, a time was going to come when I was going to use this story. Uh, so would you take us back Thanks. to 1980, 1982, I believe it was, when some stuff started happening in your lives, when God started tapping you on the shoulder in Pennsylvania and saying, I have a plan for you. W- what was going on? Well, uh, we were living in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, about 30 miles north of Philadelphia. We were in our mid-30s, and uh, we had two children, one 10 and one 13, um, chaotic life, as David said. We went to the church we always went to from the time we grew up, we were raised in. Uh, we were active in the church. We were in a small group. And we, had, we both had good jobs, but we, there was something in the back of us. The Holy Spirit was working in our lives. And we kept feeling this tugging all the time. We kept feeling this tugging all the time that there's something we're supposed to be doing, but we weren't sure what it was. And um, then one weekend, everything changed, and Earl can tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, uh, it was a message, I think, similar to what David gave us today, but we were at, a, we were at this retreat, and uh, the pastor used a story of um, how uh, uh, Jesus was walking on the water, and he asked Peter to get out of the boat and come to him. And uh, so, much of the, so much of the time, that story dwells on the fact that Peter lacked faith, and that's what he, he sank when he got out of the boat. But this pastor, he said, the boat is your comfortable surroundings that you live in. And he said that Peter had, to, had whatever it took 
to take that step out, not knowing what was going to happen when he took that step out. And that, that little story just stuck with us. And, and I, I need to share one thing that, that um, you, you were talking today about, you know, how we're called and everything. And, you know, I think a lot of times we would like to think that someone's going to call us, tap us on the shoulder and say, we need you to do this. Most of the time I sense that's not how it works. I think most of the time, for most of us, it's, it's a feeling that we have. It's this tugging. Every time we turn around, there's something in our path that kind of nudges us along that journey, you know, yeah. and that's kind of how it worked for us. You know, it was just like we kept sensing this thing about what we needed, that we needed to do something else. I, you know, the only thing I really knew, I, I had, I don't call it a gift, but a talent. And uh, I build things. That's what I do. And, and all the time it was like, how can we use this in a better way than what we're doing now? Yeah, I can make, I can make money doing this, but I need, you know, there's, probably, there's a better way. There's something better that I can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the, the path that we, that we pursued, I guess you would call it. Yeah. So from, from some of the parts that I remember of your story was there came this time when you came to a realization that there was a ministry that uh, the denomination you were part of, the Mennonites at the time, yeah. they really wanted to start this, yeah. this ministry in Tucson of all places and yeah. reached out to you and asked you guys to consider this and you were struggling because of your kids and saying, I can't, or, I won't because <laughs> our kids were saying we don't want to go, right? Yeah. And then God used that to, to change their hearts a few months later. When you guys moved out here and you decided to take that step, how did God use you? What's been the fruit of that since? Well, you started the home repair program, which wasn't here when we came, um, and used volunteers. You can talk about the the program you started here. And I went to work at the community food bank, um, which is where they wanted me to give administrative help to the community food bank because they were very small at the time, not like they are now. They had a very small place in South Tucson, and they had a huge it was a hunger crisis during that time and they had only five employees and they needed help i mean i went i became the emergency food box coordinator the office manager the volunteer coordinator and the bookkeeper (laughs) all in one and i ended up staying there for 20 years uh, after i did our our couple years of volunteer work i ended up staying there and you can talk about what you did yeah our our uh, the mennonite church our denomination was looking for a a place to be to start a, a home repair program because they needed to supply opportunities to they had volunteers coming to the denomination that wanted to go somewhere to work in a warm climate basically and uh, that was a big part of it so uh, we were we we came here in in 1982 and there there was nothing we had no we we started from scratch but we uh, looked into the uh, possibilities and started a home repair program that works with low-income people, gives people with little or no money a place to people to call to come out and do uh, minor repairs on their house, mostly minor repairs uh, for very little cost. And uh, that, that it, started, it started that way, and uh, we, were, we were supported by, our, by the, the denomination, but it has since branched out on its own it now has a uh, the director is now supported by the program and it's still going strong it's it's a very viable program in the in the city 
That's cool. Yeah, yeah very That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and I, I love how God just continues to use you guys here at Grace. I know you've, 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 you've recently taken a big step in your life and being willing to serve as an elder, as one of our spiritual leaders here at Grace. And we've been really blessed by your leadership here in the last few months as you've been a part of that. And also, I just see you guys serving even on Sunday mornings behind the scenes all the time. What would you say to someone who might be here today who is saying, God, I can't do that, or God, I won't do that? Well, I think you, the, the thing you have to do is just take that first step. Just show God you're willing. You know, you think, you think there's too many obstacles in your life to do that, but if God really wants you to do it, he will overcome those. Those aren't obstacles to God. They're just obstacles to us. Mm. And one by one, he solved every obstacle in our life uh, that we had to overcome to come. Uh, and with, with family and teenagers, that's not, I mean, it's, not, it's, we had a mortgage. We had all the things that everybody else had. But one by one, he sent people in our way to, to take care of that problem. So it's not impossible. You just have to be willing to take that first step and trust God. Amen. Thank you so much. Would you give him a hand? You know, those are both... Those, both, both their story and Brian's story, can, you, we can look at those stories and think, you know what, those are incredible stories. That's amazing how God uses people and calls them out into ministry. But God's not necessarily calling me. And I would question that. I would ask, maybe, yeah, there are some people who God does call into ministry. Or God calls to, to completely, he disrupts their lives and moves them to another part of the country. But for all of us, God calls us. God calls us to be the hands and feet of Jesus each and every day in the community we're in. I want to encourage you this morning to consider what is it in your life that God is calling you to? If you were to write out in a sentence what my calling in life before God is, what would you write? What would you say? And are are you fulfilling that? There's three responses we can have to God. I can't, I won't, or here I am, God, send me. I pray that when God taps you on the shoulder, when the coach wants to pull you into the game, that you won't say, oh God, you know what, this bench right here, it is really nice. I think I'm just going to stay right here. But instead, you'd say, God, whatever you've got in mind, I'm in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity today. Lord, I know that even today, as I'm sharing this with the Grace family, there are some people in this room who are in the midst of a, of a struggle, of an emotional struggle with you as they're considering something that you've been tugging on their hearts about. Lord, I pray not only that you would make them aware of your heart and your plans, but also that you would make them aware of your presence and that you are leading them, you will not leave them out to dry. God, I pray with each one of us that we would be obedient to your call when it comes regardless of how big or how small it is in the world's eyes Lord help us to be obedient help us Lord to even even to pray the prayer on a regular basis in our times alone with you even when things seem normal and calm and good to pray that prayer God here I am send me use me God however you want God help me to not be in the way of what you want to do in and through my life. God, I pray in those moments when we dig our heels in that you would break us 
and help us to see how amazing and incredible your plans are for us as we are obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.